0: Welcome to everybody who is here physically and all of you who are out there in cyberspace, wherever you may be in the world. Welcome you to our class on 1 Samuel. As you can see, we got four readings waiting for us in chapter 2. Before we start our readings, anybody got any holdovers from anything we've covered so far in 1 Samuel? Anything you need to go back to? All right, nobody's got anything. Let's let's assign some readings in chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Who will read that one? I see a hand in the back. Oh, that's Corey, I think. Yeah, I'm seeing him through his glasses. So, chapter 2, 22 to 26. And there's Rich, I think. And two twenty-seven to 30, that's the next one. None of these are terribly long. The first one's probably the longest, and Corey's already got it. So chapter 2, 27 to 30, who wants that? I mean, I'll read it if nobody else wants to read. I see a hand. There's Jamie. And then uh, somebody want to finish up chapter 2, verses 31 to 36. Okay, I'll take, oh, there's a hand, Amy. I always count on Amy. Since she learned to read, she's just so proud. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Chapter 2, 12 to 17.
1: The custom of the priests and the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the can or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the poor brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel,
2: and how they lay with the woman who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel was wrong in stature and in favor both with the Lord
3: and with men.
4: Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling and place, and honor your sons before me to make yourselves fat with all the best of the offerings of, my, of Israel, my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, says the Lord, Far be it from me, for those men uh, who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me
5: shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut your arm in the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall <coughs> die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phineas, in one that they sh- shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread.
1: All right, thank
0: you all for reading. I think I got a couple of slides out of order here. We'll see. There's a blank I wasn't counting on, and that one we'll come back to. Well, uh, let's, just, let's just start with this one. We'll come back to the other one later. So Hannah's looking for a son, right? That's, that's what she was praying for. Pour out her soul to the Lord. God granted that wish, and the son was Samuel. So Samuel is now on the scene. God was looking for a faithful priest. Why was he looking for a faithful priest? We just read about Eli's boys. What does the last verse of the book of Judges say? Do you remember that from our first class? Kind of gives us the, uh, the tenor of the times. There was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right, where? In his own eyes. And that's the second time that truth had been repeated in Judges. So that's, that's where Judges leaves us. This is where we pick it up. But we would think if there's any place where there would be somebody who was trying to do right in the eyes of God, it would be where? It would be at Shiloh. It would be the priests who are uh, taking care of the tabernacle and serving those who were coming to worship God. But instead, this is what we find. And God is needing to seek a faithful priest. If you're familiar with 1 Samuel and how it will play out or how the history will play out you'll know that god will also seek a man after his own heart to be king after saul is rejected for being faithless and selfish let's talk about eli's boys what a couple of wrath scallions they didn't know the lord that's what it says in two twelve. so they were serving at the tabernacle people who came to worship the lord at the tabernacle which was where where was the tabernacle It was in Shiloh. Shiloh. Remember the pictures? I showed you pictures. They didn't know the Lord. They were serving at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And they were even abusing the offerings that were brought. They were supposed to take the boiled meat, but they were taking it prior to it being boiled. We want meat to roast, and we want want fat. And the fat was supposed to be offered up. But they were abusing those offerings and disregarding God. They bullied the worshipers. They said, if you don't give us what we want, we will do what? We'll take it by force. How'd you like that if the elders started going through the pews during the collection? Hey, this is what we want from you. Annie up. Or or we're gonna beat you up.
5: <laughs>
0: that's, well, that's basically what was happening. At the tabernacle at Shiloh, it was a pretty sorry situation. And they, they lay with the women who came, who were, who were serving at the tabernacle. These guys were just bad eggs. Now we're coming into chapter 3, but I, what was I going to... I think that's enough. Yeah, we, we got a lot covered. Ain't technology cool?
6: Yes. I mean, what the what Bible says, and then think about what Samuel is witnessing as this all happens, and what kind of effect it had on him. Well, I wondered that. Because he's, he's just, just a young, young boy,
0: and he's serving at the tabernacle under Eli's tutelage. And it's like, when you read it, and of course, there's a lot of detail left out. You, I'm, I'm thankful to God for not putting in all the detail that I would like to have there because then the book would be so large I'd probably never get around to reading all of it. But you see his boys, his, his blood boys, and then you see Samuel. And it's like Samuel is learning things from him that are the right things in the right way. It's almost like he's a grandson and he's bringing his grandson upright, whereas his boys are just worthless uh, and I'm not, that, that's what the text says about him. They were worthless men. And they are the ones serving at the tabernacle. These are the guys that Israel comes and has to, to deal with in order to worship God. So you see what a sad situation it was spiritually and morally. And that this was the example that was set for, for the entire nation. And so we wonder when we look at history why they had so many problems and why they had so many issues. But this was their leadership what was the complaint against Eli?
6: He, he, he failed to do anything about it. This has been a conversation, if that's the answer to your question. This has been a conversation between my brother and I. I've got one brother that's passed and one brother that's older than me and about how we raise our children and how it points out to how we are responsible for our children and how they out. <laughs> to a point, you know, to a point. To a point. And, and and how we raise our kids and the, and the mistakes we did are in our life. Always, always in the back of your mind, could I have done something better? Did I do it right? What have I learned? You know, what what have I learned And I think maybe here is a good time for me to reflect on what I have learned, you know, what I could do better. I, I think it's good time prepare, for every to reflect. Paul? I the labor
7: point too much, but I think we there's nothing unusual about the situation in my mind. I think we see it today all the time. We choose, hopefully we choose, as the body of Christ, men and women, we invest our time together, at least for my family, the Mazda family, we didn't have extended family that was within the body. We were always on our own. So this was always our family. The elders, the other members of the body, we chose to invest our time with those people. I was mentored by those men, my uncles and my grandfather They didn't have any mentoring at all. I didn't learn anything from them. It was always from the men in the church. So to me, it's, it's just a, you know another example of that. And that's,
0: that was my experience as well. I, did I? I don't know if I've told you guys this. I'm, I'm sure I have. i got these things I remember. But when I was in the service, uh, I, was, I probably just turned 18. I'm in the barracks. I'm stationed in Las Vegas, Nevada at Nellis Air Force Base. And it occurs to me, wow, I'm a 1,000 miles from, from home. There's nobody here to tell me what to do. I could I could do anything I want. This is Las Vegas, Nevada. And then I thought, and and I'm, this is not anything against my family, but I didn't think about the men in my family. I thought about the men in the church. What would Del Cabell think of me if I did some of the things that some of these other guys are doing? Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, what would Lambert Dolan think if I did that? What would, uh, and I just had all these guys, JB Duty, that came to mind, and not just guys, but women as well. What would Freda Miller think if I did that? Uh, I just people in in the church family that were my family. And I had no idea when I left home that it would be like that, but I started thinking like this. Well, what would any of them think if I lived the way some of these other guys are? I can't do that. I wound up down in the day room watching TV with a quart of chocolate milk and some potato chips because that's the way to live your life when you're 18 and on your own. But, but that, that influence, and that's why it's so important that we bring our young people in amongst the church not just bring them to Bible class. Yes, bring them to Bible class. And not just bring them to worship. Yes, bring them to worship. But bring them in amongst the church, the Lord's people, so they can be influenced. Because I know the influence that godly people have had in my life is something you can't buy. You can't manufacture it. You can't go to a store later and pick some of that up. You either get it from the Lord's people or you don't. And this is the time to get it is when they're young. And somehow Eli's boys had missed that. They did not have that. And so they grew up to be scoundrels and the issue wasn't well I'll tell you what let's do let's read into chapter 3 and then we'll come back and we'll talk about this some more uh, I need three readers for chapter 3 1 through 9 anybody feel like reading okay and I'm sorry I can't recall your name Connor, Connor good deal Connor thank you see Connor's reading he's not even a member here step up to the plate guys chapter 3 10 to 14 here we go who's next I don't mean to shame you into it. Okay, Paul, oh, Paul, I'll, I'll do. if you're going to make me feel bad, I'll appreciate you, brother. Uh, chapter 3, 15 into 4, verse 1. I don't know why they cut that off, made that decision to stop chapter 3 where they did because first part of chapter 4 goes right in with the last part of chapter 3. But that's chapter 3, 15 to 4, 1. There's a hand in the back. I can't see who it belongs to, but ah, Excellent. I think that's Jenny.
3: <clears throat> Here we go. Chapter 3. Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and work from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That the Lord called Samuel, and he said... Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called But he answered, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be as he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lied down in his place. And the
7: Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill again Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering
8: forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. He said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me, all of the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went to out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped in Apik. Right.
0: You see what I mean there about the division between chapter 3 and chapter 4? That, that first line of chapter 4 I think should have been kept in chapter 3. Uh, you understand when the spirit inspired these things to be written down originally there was no division between uh, chapters and verses that division came later i'm thinking whoever divided the chapter probably was falling asleep right at that point and just and just accidentally oh I'll put that in chapter 4 nope all right anyway so and think about that as you're studying as well when you read a chapter don't think well because i read a chapter i read the end of a thought no you might be right in the middle of a thought a lot of times you are Just make your own decision where you want that chapter to end in your mind, and you keep that context together. Uh, All right. Eli's character, let's talk about his character a little bit. He didn't rebuke his sons, chapter 3, verse 13. This was the issue. It wasn't that his sons were bad guys. It's that they were bad guys, and he did not rebuke them. And I'm not exactly sure uh, what this means because... In chapter two, verses twenty-two to twenty-five, Eli does speak to his sons. So I don't know. It, it seems to me this is probably uh, too late in the game. Maybe he hadn't rebuked them prior to this. <clears throat> but this is the issue with uh, Eli at this point, Jamie. There's a difference in saying, "Hey, you shouldn't
4: do that, and boy, you better stop that." And I'm wondering if it's a spare the rod, spoil the child type of parenting, that you know, you know, you don't really need to do it that way and, and putting the fear in them that that's not what they need to do it.
3: Right. If
0: if a child is my experience, my experience as a child, if a child is exhibiting poor behavior and you don't do something to make them regret that behavior and decide, I'm never going to do that again, what's going to happen? They're going to do it some more. It's like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, when the sentence against an evil work is not carried out speedily, the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I'm sure he was writing about adults, but that holds true for five-year-olds too. You, you've got to stop evil where it is and make people who were doing evil understand this isn't going to work. Bud?
2: I want to say, one of the things I think we're sort of jumping over when we're talking about his sons is that they were, uh, they were over 30 years old. And so uh, they might have just turned their back on their dad and said, Well, the old conjuror, he don't know what he's talking about. We can do whatever we want to. We don't have to stay here and tell him nothing. So, but now, you understand what I'm saying? This was not. These boys, or these
0: men that were his sons, were past 30 years old. Sure, they were grown men. They, were, they weren't little boys. But at some point along the way, God is holding Eli responsible for not rebuking them. And I think the kind of rebuke we're talking about is what Jamie was talking about. It's not simply saying, now, nah, boys, you know you shouldn't do that. Sometimes I hear parents do that. and Well, let's just move on. Uh, uh, Preston and then Bob. I keep
6: thinking about this passage when Saul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus says, hard for you to kick against the prick. And so in doing a little bit more reading, I find out that the goat or the prick, whenever you had oxen, that was something I guess that they prodded them with to keep them in line. Mm -hmm. And whenever you think about how zealous Paul was, and how he really tried to do what he thought was right in God's eyes. And, of course, he was crucifying, or, or he was persecuting the Christians. <clears throat> and so when I think about young people, like what we're talking about, and about the contrast between Eli and his sons and Eli and Samuel, apparently Eli had taught Samuel what he needed to do. But for whatever reason, his sons didn't get the message. That's kind of what we talked about this morning. And I think about whenever we raise our children and the nurture and the admonition, admonition of the Lord, and we hope that they become Christians, and once they do, then the Holy Spirit lives within us. And we teach them not to quench the Spirit. In other words, we try to live according to God's Word so that the Holy Spirit can live within us. And then whenever there's something. In this world, it entices us. To me, this passage is harder for you to kick against the pricks. In other words, you know what's right. Mm-hmm. And, and the Spirit living within us helps direct our path. That's God helping direct our path. And so we see this progression from little children up, like what you talked about. I can speak to my experience, and, and but I can't really speak for anybody else. And that's kind of what I'm seeing here. But I wonder why... Why did Eli do that? God did that. He, he raised Samuel up. It's so obvious to us at this point. in the study, but it just leaves a lot of food for thought on, on what we're talking about. Right, and there's, there's no way to know why Eli was the kind of father he was. But
0: I'm wondering, and I, you have to wonder this about everything the Lord puts in the book. Why did he put that in the book? And for me, this is in here to tell me as a father and as a grandfather... Don't worry about your your kids' or your grandkids' feelings. Train them up in the way they should go, no matter how difficult that is. When you're training your child, you understand they are children, but you also understand that they are children, (laughs) which means they don't have the maturity to think about things and think through things and make good decisions which is what we hear a lot of times, oh, make good decisions. Well, they're not going to make good decisions if there's more fun decisions out there that are not good unless they know, oh, if I make that decision, I'm going to get clobbered. I'm going to get clobbered in love, but I'm going to get clobbered. And I'm not saying I was raised perfectly, but I don't remember my parents ever taking my feelings into consideration when I was doing things I shouldn't be doing. They, they, it just wasn't a concern because they knew that behavior has to be stopped and this behavior has to be emphasized. And that's, that's kind of where we are with that. Now, Bob and then I think, Paul, do you have your, okay, Bob and Paul.
6: Eli was the high priest.
2: Yes. And his, one of his duties was assigning responsibilities. He could have easily taken away his son's responsibilities and assigned them to other duties where they couldn't have done what they were doing.
6: He chose not to. Bob saying
0: that his Eli's sons were. He was the high priest, and his sons were serving under his tutelage. He could have pulled them out of that job and put somebody else in place. Which we assume there would have been somebody there to do it. it it's kind of like somebody says, "How come we don't have more adult classes?" Well, we need more adult teachers. Find the teachers, we'll have the classes. It's it's kind of a kind of a thing like that. Uh, Bob or Paul. I think it also illustrates the point that there's a window. You don't have endless opportunities
7: with your children to impart, you know, certain knowledge or characteristics. There's a there's a point where the the brain in development becomes less malleable, and you don't have that choice anymore. You can't go to your thirty year old son. He doesn't know the Lord, and, and you've been trying to teach him, and you have been. There's a window there, and it and it says it. They did not know the Lord, even though they were in close proximity to the high priest. They witnessed, all, you know, from a firsthand perspective, the closest, ideally, to the Lord, as far as people were concerned. And yet they didn't know the Lord. Well, maybe he was a, a career guy. You know, yeah, he's a high priest. That's, he was more focused on his position than on his children. I, I don't know. That's conjecture. I'm just saying. The point is, it demonstrates that there's a window. If you miss that window with your kids when they're young, while they're accepting. Your discipline, your teaching, and I'm, I'm at that stage, so I can't say that I, from experience, but from what I've read, the science backs that up as well. Yeah, yeah. you, you yeah. only
0: have so much time, and then you go, oh, it's too late now. And that's why, well, I'm not going to go there, but but I will go here. I think this is in here to hopefully embolden parents and grandparents to be parents, not to try to be friends and buddies, and to, to don't worry about whether or not your kids think you're cool. If they think you're cool, hmm, you might not be doing it right, because that's not always a good sign. Our children will have lots of friends, hopefully in life, but you are their only dad, you are their only mom. They've got two sets of grandparents. Maybe that's to catch up where the parents didn't get it all done. I don't know. But <clears throat> be a parent, take responsibility, and and change behavior where it needs to be changed and train behavior where it needs to be trained. I saw two hands in the back. Judy.
4: Your time to invoke punishment may end at some point, but your, your job as a parent and your influence never ends.
0: Exactly. And the punishment, it's, my experience has been the only time you really need to punish is when your authority as a parent has been challenged. That's when you punish. You're at the table, somebody spills some milk, oh, let's get that cleaned up, grab a towel. Don't yell at the child for spilling milk unless, unless you've warned them About acting a fool at the table, and they're acting a fool and spill their milk. Then you tear their head off. Uh, Well, that make a bigger mess. So don't do that. But you you see what I'm saying? I'm using uh, that's called a hyperbole in technical language, hyperbole. But the the point is, think through some of this stuff, and don't allow. What's one of the Ten Commandments in regard to this? Honor your father and your mother. Who's supposed to train the children to do that? They're little. They have to be trained. They have to be taught to honor mom and dad. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and said, children, obey your parents and all. He didn't mean for the parents to take that part of the letter to their kids and and here, Tommy, you read this, or little Johnny or whatever your name is, you read this. No, he meant, okay, uh, my parents. My children are supposed to obey me. That's not my right as a parent to make them obey me. That is my obligation as a parent to train my children to honor me. Because if there's no honor in the home for parents, there will be no honor for God. I'm telling you that. Unless something really drastic happens later on. That's the way it works. And I believe that's why the commandment's there. Honor your father and mother. What's the promise that comes with that? That they may live long on the earth. Now think about that promise. If you want your kids to live for a long time on this earth, to have a good life, train them to honor you as the parents and as grandparents. If you don't train them, you might not want them to live a long time. You might kill them yourself. <laughs> but that's the way that is. Uh, uh, Steve, and I, there might have been another hand in the back, but Steve, you're up now.
6: What's that? Eli was the last judge. Actually, Samuel and his boys will be the last judges. Well,
2: at least we know that Samuel was going to keep the word of the Lord. Samuel with his His (laughs) boys. But Eli didn't, not only did he not train his children, he didn't do anything for Israel. Okay. I mean, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Right. He was not a leader. So. Why would he, if he didn't do anything for the cut, why would we think he would do anything for his children? That's a
0: good question. And I'm, I'm not sure of that. There's more to Eli uh, than what we've been looking by, the way, was there another hand that I missed? Somebody else have a comment? Yes. Oh yeah, Billy. I thought you were just hovering for you a while ago. You got a drum comment.
2: Yeah, I have had comments telling me to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I did mom. <not. laughs> boys were riding on Eli's coattail, you know. They're going in and say, give me the portion of the meat, the fat, and whatever, because my dad's a priest. Yeah. And instead of taking responsibility and saying you can't do that and what you're doing is wrong in the sight of God and, and all the people too, he honored his boys more than he did God.
6: Exactly. exactly. That, that's, that that's, that's the crust of the deal
2: right here. You have to straighten these kids out and raise them in God's sight. And they could have probably come and been priests and followed Him right after the fact that they had done what was right. But no, they turned their back on how they're teaching, they're raising, and they're brought to the Father's example. And not only brought approach upon God in the temple and everything, they brought approach upon their Father. Because He's not doing right, and they're putting Him in a bad situation. And sometimes kids don't think about that. They just go out and do whatever they want to. And here you're a loving, faithful member of the church and everything, and then the church looks down on you because you didn't raise your kids. Right. But at a point there, like Bud said, they're over 30 years of age. They're responsible for their own actions. But yet we had to bring them up to a point where they understood they are responsible for their own, own actions. Right. It used to be, and the-, the biblical
0: pattern seems to be when you read the text, children should be worried about what their parents think about them. But that's reversed today, and parents are worried about what their kids think about them. And that, that's a bad pattern to have. That's a bad plan. Charlie?
3: Oh, I, I tell Isaac that I, I punish him so that when he's an adult, he's not punished by other people. Or, or by the Lord directly or indirectly through the police. Exactly. You know, and if, if he messes up now, he has to answer to me. But when he's an adult, he's got to answer to the Lord.
0: I just thought of this, but what you're saying is that the biggest... Issue that's been determined with young men in prison is a lack of a father figure in their life. That's what they're doing in prison. They, they didn't have a father figure in their life. And that's what we're seeing here with Eli. His boys are not worried about what he thinks of them. He was worried about what they thought of him. Or did I say that right? He, he was, yeah, he, he honored his boys more than he honored God. So let's, let's go to the next point here. Talking about Eli's character, we're looking at things that tell us something about his character. He told Hannah when she prayed that you go your way and may God give you a blessing. And you remember how Hannah responded to that? She didn't just have faith that that would be true. She trusted that that would be true because she, she gladdened up and she ate something. She knew in her heart, in her mind, she had trust that that was going to take place. And, of course, it did. She had Samuel. So he's got this blessing. And then in chapter 2 and verse 20, at the end of chapter 2, we didn't read this. This was part of a section we didn't read. But he says, you go on your way now. And uh, this is after Samuel had been given to Eli to raise. And he said, may God bless you with more sons and daughters. And that's exactly what happened. She had more sons and daughters after that. So he's he's made these two blessings on Hannah that have been fulfilled. And then we see he has some discernment because in chapter 3 when... Uh, Samuel's coming to him and saying, hey, did you holler for me? Eli is the one who figures out it's the Lord. And so this is what he tells him. Go lie down. Chapter 3, verse 9. It shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Because Eli discerned, this is verse 8, Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli didn't get upset or jealous. There's nothing like that. He'd say, oh, you you go back and you lay down. And if the Lord calls you, you say, speak your servants listening. So he had this element of discernment. He he had some qualities. He just didn't do right by his boys. And then in chapter uh, 3, verse 18, when Samuel tells Eli that he's going to wipe his house out, wipe out his family, this is how Eli responds. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. That's quite a response from somebody who's just been told judgments come down on you. We're going to wipe out your family. Not totally. He says, I'm going to leave you, you some, but, but he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get sullen. He just says, it's the Lord. Let him do what's right in his eyes. It's like his, there's this, this sense of acceptance here. So, Eli's got his qualities. He's not a total bad guy. But his issue was he he wouldn't take his boys in hand. And he allowed them to disregard and disrespect God. So that was the issue there. All right. Chapter 2, verse 26. we got Samuel growing up. And what does it say of him in 2.26? Growing in stature and favor both with the Lord and men. What's that sound like? That sounds like Jesus. That's exactly what was said of Jesus Christ. grew in favor with God and men. Chapter 3 verse 1 says visions were rare. But Samuel was about to have several. He was about to be established as God's man. And that's what it tells us at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4. God establishes Samuel as a prophet to all Israel. So visions were rare. Apparently... Eli didn't get very many when God wanted him to know about what he was going to do with his house, how did God inform him of that? He sent another man, says so a man of God, we don't even know his name, but a man of God comes to Eli and says this is God's pronouncement on your house. You've not restrained your sons, so this is what's going to happen. Actually the restraint part comes later when God tells it to Samuel. But but your house is going to be torn down. And judgment is coming against you. That came from another man. God did not come in a vision to Eli and tell him that. He told him through the man of God. And then he told him again a second time through Samuel. So that's that's the way it was. And now Samuel is going to be established as a prophet in Israel. Let's look at chapter 319 again. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fail. What does that mean? Let none of his words fail. Samuel must have been teaching some things. Or saying some things. Or blessing some things. Who, who knows what Samuel was saying. But God was with Samuel. You ever pray that prayer? Lord be with me. That's, that's a really common prayer for me. Why would we phrase it like that? Why do you phrase it like? Anybody else pray that same phrase? Be with me? Sounds, that'd make a good song, wouldn't it? Be with me, Lord. <laughs> I cannot live without thee. And, it, and, and you don't even have to add a specific. Just be with me. It's the idea that if, if God is with me, everything's going to be okay. Just, just be there. And so the text says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. Let none of his words fail. You remember Joseph... In Egypt, sold as a slave in Egypt, and God gave him esteem in the eyes of Potiphar. And then when Potiphar's wife lied about him and and he was thrown into jail, God gave Joseph esteem in the eyes of the jailer. And then eventually would give him esteem in the eyes of Pharaoh himself. This is the idea of God being with someone. If he's with Joseph, we see what happens with Joseph. If he's with Samuel, we see what happens with Samuel. If we live in such a way, this is what Preston was talking about a while ago, the, the Holy Spirit coming to live in us. Do you remember ever going house shopping? I'm, I'm talking mostly to those of us who were older and who've had to do some house shopping. You ever go, you look at a house and you thought, you looked at it on paper, and you oh, that looks like a nice place. And then you get there and you look around and go, oh, man, I don't want to live here. You ever think God thinks that way about people? Look at, look at their hearts, look at their minds, look at their practices, their habits. You ever think he looks, thinks that way about you? Man, I'm getting ready to leave this joint. <laughs> it's, it's a mess. That's, that's our responsibility to make of ourselves a place where God can live and reside. And if, if we live in faith, he comes in and he sups with us. That's what Jesus says in the Revelation. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, what's he going to do? got to come in. We're going to sit down. We're going to eat. We're going to have fellowship. That's what that's all about. So God was with Samuel. It says in verse 20, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Why does it say Dan to Beersheba? Where was Dan? Far north of Israel. Where was Beersheba? Way down south. It had a different accent down there. It had kind of Beersheba drawl. All the way from Dan to Beersheba. That's like from from California to Florida and all the way up to Maine. Everybody knew. That's what this is saying to us. They knew that Samuel was what? Confirmed as a prophet, there's no doubt. Samuel is a prophet of God. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus the word of Samuel came to All Israel. So Samuel's doing some teaching. He's being an influencer. Maybe he is now being what Eli was not. And he's having an impact. And people are going to be coming to him for leadership and for guidance. And we'll see that play out in the next few chapters as Israel comes looking for a king. And the relationship is such. When they come and ask for a king, what will Samuel say to God? Samuel will say, they rejected me. And what will God say? They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. And that is uh, the sad state of affairs at that particular time. But that's later chapters. Uh, by the way, it's allowed, if you want to, you can read ahead. You, you don't have to say, oh, we, we've only covered chapter 3. No, you read ahead all you want. And you come back with some... Some questions and some observations and some statements, and, and we'll put those to work. I don't think I had anything else. Just another blank. Sh- oh, that's old stuff there. All right. Thank you. Appreciate your attendance and your participation. Lord, love you.